Built Not Born, episode 40. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Today's guest is Kushbu Modi. Kushbu Modi is a yoga instructor and a leader in the yoga community in the Boston area. Kushbu grew up in the South, born in Alabama. She struggled to assimilate to the traditional Indian upbringing her parents were trying to incorporate while trying to live a very American life outside the home. Kushbu speaks of what it was like to grow up in the South, to live in Arkansas and Alabama, then to eventually move to Delaware, where one day a friend invited her to her first yoga class in college. Kushbu was amazed how yoga calmed her mind and strengthened her body. Kushbu not only discovered that yoga could provide mental and physical benefits, it also provided a path to leadership of helping others. Kushbu and I talk about the power of journaling why she does not touch her phone first thing in the morning. I was lucky enough to cross paths with Kushbu a few years back when she led yoga school that I started in. She is a phenomenal teacher. She has a ton of positive energy. She's one of the people that just make you feel better when you walk in the room, when she greets you and says hello. She has some great life lessons to share regarding yoga, leadership, and the mind-body experience. I hope you enjoy. So, Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy episode number 40 with Kushbu Modi, yogi, teacher, community leader, and one amazing force of positive energy. And remember, life is built, not born. Kushbu Modi. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. We're excited to have you. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Thanks so much for that question. I am a yoga teacher by nature and by trade. I've been teaching yoga for 10 plus years, and I like to think that's at the essence of my heart who I am, but I do manage studios for a yoga company. And so you could say that I'm in the management world as well and to offer leadership through yoga. So a combination of two of my passions of leadership and yoga melding together, I have the good fortune to embody a life that really brings two of my biggest passions together. I want to get into yoga, your journey, how you got into it, life lessons you learned, I want to talk about your leadership style and what type of leadership lessons you could pass on to our listeners. But I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a few different places. I was born in the South. I was born in Alabama. I lived there till I was five. And then my parents moved to Arkansas. That's where I lived until I was 12. After that, I moved to Delaware. So kind of nomadic from a younger age, lots of different experiences just based on regions I lived in and grew up in. If I could narrow it down to my home, I would associate Delaware as my home because I lived there the longest. That was where I lived when I had some of the most influential life lessons and grew up to know who I was as a person. If you think back to when you were a kid, say 12 years old, living in Arkansas, what was it around the dinner table for you? Who was there? What's going on? Describe the scene. 
Yeah, I could. So that's a really interesting question. And you've met me in person. And so I feel this really throws people off guard is that I didn't have the most optimistic childhood, so to speak, that my parents had an arranged marriage. So they didn't necessarily get along. And so I pretty much grew up knowing that they weren't super well cohesive and that there was always some type of tension happening. As a kid, I remember sitting at the table and feeling overwhelmed that there had to be more to life than just that. And so I know when people hear that from me, they're like, what? You sound, you seem the type of person who's had kind of the best upbringing and the most positive life experiences. But that is something that really shaped me as a person to always crave more, to always gain some of that independence because of the way I was brought up, because of the way my family dynamic was at that time of my life. When I was 12, actually, that's the following years when my parents got divorced. The age of 12 was a very interesting age for me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Marriage itself, even the great ones, it's work. I can't even imagine an arranged one. The times when you both pick each other at a certain point and work on it, that's one thing. And you know, hopefully it works out and it's awesome. But to have arranged, that's mind-blowing yeah. in 2022. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you say that because growing up in the South, it was... I know in the past, it's typically we attribute the South as a little more closed-minded, especially 10, 12 years ago. And so it was always interesting because I was the only Indian person there. And so knowing that my life story, my experience was so different from my peers and the people around me already made me feel a little different. And even with that, just growing up in such a different culture than my parents. So my parents, I'm a first generation. And so with my brother, we are the first people in my family that were born in the States. So the culture that my parents were raised in versus the culture that we were a part of here was always, it was almost like I was living two separate lives, a life at home ingrained in traditional Indian culture and what my parents were experiencing and used to versus my peers and my friends. It was always such an interesting, I felt like I was being pulled in two different directions. A couple of questions there. One, you said you're at home, it's a traditional Indian upbringing. Then you're in literally Alabama and Arkansas, not really the two states you, you think of when you think of traditional Indian upbringings. What was yeah. it to try to assimilate to both sides? What were some of the differences you noticed when you walked out the door or you walked home into, into the kitchen? What, what was it like? Yeah, I would say it was always so frustrating because as a kid, you don't really have that sense of my parents came to the States for a better future for me. My parents are doing this for a reason. You're always, why can't I do what blah, blah, blah is doing? So I remember having friends who sleepovers are pretty typical here in the States. And this is such a silly example to use, but this is the first thing I think of is sleepovers. A lot of my friends would have sleepovers for their birthdays or for just in general. I remember asking my mom if I could spend the night at someone's house and she's why. Why would you want to stay at somebody else's house? You have a bed here. You have a home here. She just didn't understand. And I was trying to explain it. Mom, but all my friends are going to be there. She's like, you can see them during the day. Just that level of she didn't get it. And so similarly, those are a lot of the big threads and themes that would come up that I had a pretty early curfew because in the Indian culture, girls typically aren't allowed to go out. And when I say allowed, I know things have really changed in the Indian culture in the past few years, but the man or the male in Indian culture typically is given a little more freedom. So for example, my curfew would be 10 p.m. and my mom would start texting me, calling me at 8.39 of, are you coming home? What's going on? And always checking in and that would get overwhelming. <laughs> and so mom, I'm not doing anything. I'm at a friend's house or watching a movie. <laughs> and my brother, if the script was different and he was out, if he was past curfew, she wouldn't even check in because she just assumed he was okay. So that was one of the biggest struggles that I had that not only was I 
trying to explain my Indian culture to my friends who were American, who had a hard time saying, why can't you sleep over? Everybody else is. Or why can't you stay out late? Because we're all staying out late and it's pretty normal for this age. To my parents were like, why do you need to stay out? So I always felt I was caught in between and I could never win because there were so many different things being asked of me and almost on opposing ends. That's got to be tough. So what made your family move? You're in Alabama, you were in Arkansas. What made the big move to Delaware? When did that? So my family moved to Alabama just because my dad had family there. And typically people feel a little more comfortable, especially moving into a whole different country where you don't even speak the language that well to be around family. So we moved there initially. Then that family moved to Arkansas. So we moved alongside them. And actually, when we moved to Delaware, my mom's family lived in Delaware. So once my parents were thinking about getting a divorce, my mom decided that it would be better off if she was closer to her family as well. So that's actually what prompted the move to Delaware for us. You mentioned when you got to Delaware, there were some life lessons involved and some of the biggest life lessons you ever learned were during that phase yeah. of your life. What was some of that? Yeah. Could you elaborate? Absolutely. And so when I said that I more so mean from the sense of those were the pivotal years of my life, I even went to school, my undergrad was in Delaware at the University of Delaware. And so I've spent a lot of my pivotal years of like figuring out who you are as a person in Delaware. But I'd say a lot of my a lot of the lessons I learned while I was there, if I had to pick a few, would be really figuring out what I wanted apart from what the expectations of my family were. I don't mean that in the sense of my family was you can only do one thing with your career. You can only do XYZ. More so of what is it that I want for myself if there were no strings attached to anybody else and other people's expectations. What, who am I as a person? And that was something big for me because I always felt I was trying to be the peacekeeper in my family and around me. What can I do to keep everyone happy? And so one of the biggest lessons that I learned was, and I'm still learning, is, is who am I and, and what would I do if I wasn't trying to please others? I found yoga in Delaware. So I grew up with a lot of anxiety just in my body, just experiencing it. And so when I went to college, one of my friends invited me to a yoga class. And that was my first exposure to yoga. And it was the first hour that I was given to really detach from everything else in my life. And so that's really what drove the passion for yoga. So I really consider that to be a lucky place for me. And last but not least, I would say that one of my bigger lessons is finding the path of yoga and leadership. It happened while I was in Delaware. So figuring out that I could be an effective leader, I could be a speaker, I could inspire people. If you talk to little high school me and you told me that I would be teaching classes of 50 to 100 people, that I'd be leading teacher trainings being a facilitator of any type, I would not have believed, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have just thought I was somebody on the back line, not at the front and center of, of attention because I was definitely a shy kid. And so I really think that the experiences I had when I went to University of Delaware really, really helped create who I am today. What, what did you major in at the University of Delaware? You majored in psychology and I had a minor in religious studies and particularly Eastern religions. So Buddhism, Chinese Taoism, just, and especially Hinduism as well, which is what a lot of people attribute yoga mm -hmm. um, as a, not necessarily a byproduct, but just has some influence over it. You mentioned earlier, before you got into yoga, your natural default personality is to please others and a high level of anxiety. 
Do you think yeah. that is nature or nurture? Do you think that something came from where you were raised and how you're naturally programmed? Yeah. I don't know. I've had that question for so much of my life, especially coming from a background in psychology and studying mental health and developmental psychology is that there's so many factors. I don't know. I don't have a concrete answer. So my best gut reaction would be a combination of the two, because I do know to some degree we're predisposed to just chemical, the way the chemicals in our brain work. However, I do think a lot of our experiences have to do with that. And so I do think going, being a child of divorce and feeling I was always on the move, moving around with my family and didn't feel aligned or attached to a particular home in my younger developmental years has helped, or I guess, helped find, helped me find a little bit more independence, but also given me that sense of what's next or where am I going to next, which is pretty apparent in the way I've moved around in my own adult life. So I would say a combination of the two. And I do think my anxiety developed more as I got older and the existential questions of why are we here? What are we doing? What is my purpose? As I got older, that was definitely something that was on a forefront of my mind. That's primarily some of the reasons that yoga and religion felt so comforting to me because they offer some answers to some of those questions. One thing I found with yoga there is such a calming, not just a physically calming, but a mentally calming component. It's almost the, the feeling you have of just complete serenity and calmness. And yeah. combination of that physical, mental, it's in that middle ground of where the physical and mental, where the two intersect, where they're both there. I, I don't know if this is necessarily typical for a lot of people. I think every person has a, their own different experience and timeline of when that happens. But for me, it honestly happened the first class. And that's what kept drawing me back. I wasn't the person who was amazing at yoga the first time I did it. So I just like to, I'll just say that. But I know there's the tendency to be like, I can't touch my toes. I can't do yoga. But you're absolutely right in that it's so much more of the mindfulness and the presence of your body in and your breath in one space opposed to anything physical. But for me, that alignment really happened my first class. So I didn't know anything. So I was so overwhelmed and overstimulated by the instruction that I couldn't think about anything else. They were do this. And I'm like, what's happening? That connection with actively having to listen and pay a lot of attention really is what took me out of my head. And that was really the first time I'd experienced that sensation in a really long time. And so for some people, it could be the first class. And, and that feeling is what kept drawing me back of that's one hour I have to not think about anything else. That's one hour I have where I physically can't be anywhere else, can't do anything else. So to be fully there. To be fully there. I, I find yoga is one of the few things. So my two favorite hobbies is yoga and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And mm -hmm. they, you would think they're so opposite. One is this calm mindfulness. And the other is literally folding people's clothes with them in them. But they go together so perfectly. And they both give you something that it's so hard to get. And it's such a gift, that present moment focus. Yeah. Where yeah. in yoga, you're doing positions and you can't think of anything else, but the position yeah. you're in or you're going to fall over. So do a move. And if I start thinking about yesterday or what I have to do an hour from now, I'll literally start tilting over and I'll, I'll like, I have to catch myself and I'm going to fall. 
You can't exactly. think of anything but what yeah. you're doing for an hour. It's such a gift. And jujitsu yeah. is the same way. If you, you lose focus, you're going to get choked unconscious. When you have mm-hmm. pounds heavier than you on you trying to collar choke you and you're I got to go 100% into this choke to get out of this or I'm just going to be unconscious or I'm going to tap. That yeah. present moment focus is so amazing. You, you also mentioned about what, like anxiety and emotions. The one yeah. thing I think yoga teaches is we are not our emotions. If you have anxiety on your head or depression or whatever it is, you're excited, you can get that and put it to the side. You can say, oh, that's interesting. And just because that's in your head, you literally can detach that and say, all right, you know what? I'm going to put this to the side. I'll worry about this in an hour. I'm going to go (laughs) do this practice now. Then after Mm -hmm. the practice, what scared you doesn't scare me as much as it did when I walked into that room. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think of it as a perspective, right? That, that sometimes, and I think in this day and age, it's so, so important. And I, of course, am still learning this is everything feels a fire to put out right now. Nowadays, every text, every email, everyone is like, everyone wants a response from you here and now. And of course there's that timely response, but then there's also that response that you have of, I have to do this right now. So with all of the stimulation we're getting, it's just kind of overwhelming and exhausting. And I felt it now more than ever. Uh, There's so much information being thrown at us that something yoga, and when you make the parallel between jujitsu and yoga, I think they're so similar. Anything that can get you out of your head and into your body is incredible. There's a like psychological concept called flow, where it's that fine line of hard and challenging, but just easy enough where you feel a sense of effortlessness while you're doing it. And so I think anyone who has the ability to find something that regardless of like what the actual exercise or what the actual practice is, really sets themselves up for gaining perspective of if you don't respond right away, if you just create some space between the actual text or email coming through versus when you respond, you'll notice that that you gain perspective. <laughs> you mentioned with flow, there's an author I love. His name is Seth Godin. And his term of flow is you don't wait for flow to show up. If you wait for flow to show up, you're going to be in flow once or twice a year tops. Yeah. You'll be right? waiting forever. <laughs> you'll be waiting for months at a time. Like, oh, I'm just not in the flow. I'm not in the mood. He says, action creates mood, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you create your own flow where you start doing something and maybe say you're doing yoga and you're tight and you're not feeling it or jujitsu, whatever you do, or you, you play the saxophone, you start playing the saxophone and you're clunky and you're missing the wrong keys. You grind through that four or five, six minutes and get into, you create your own state of flow. Five minutes in, you're like, I got this. All of a sudden that flow happened because your action, you proactively created it. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And it like takes, it's like you're climbing uphill. It like takes a second to get there. And then you go on that downhill, the effortless yep. feeling. You're your own roller coaster. You have to do that. <laughs> and then once yep. you get to a point that the, the flow will happen, it'll take you the rest of the way, right? Absolutely. You mentioned about the leadership. Yeah. You started training yoga in college. Yeah. Do you remember the point where you realized not only do I this, I might want to pursue this as a career path? Yeah, I'll backtrack just a little bit with that because my leadership career actually started before my yoga career did. When I was in college and undergrad, I was an RA or a resident assistant. And it was something that I really wanted to do because 
<laughs> it's funny that I say this because I used to tell people this and they would always laugh that we got one of the responsibilities was to make the little boards in the hallway. And then my artistic inclination really loved that. That was the one of the reasons I applied them. And I never really thought of it as a leadership opportunity, just more so something I wanted to try out. My first semester, I was paired with freshmen and I didn't want to be with freshmen because I thought I'd do better with older students. But I sometimes think that the universe is looking out for you and it gives you exactly what you need. And so I actually loved being a mentor for freshmen, which I continued on for two more years just because I enjoyed that sense of mentorship, that sense of building community, that sense of supporting people who are just newly integrated into the school and to make it feel home for them. And so that's really what started me on my leadership path, that not even the intention of being a leader, I just wanted to help and do something artistic. What got me into teaching yoga was there was a yoga club on campus that I eventually led towards my later years at at school, they had an open time slot that was just like, have you ever wanted to try teaching yoga? You can sign up for one single class slot just to try it out, no commitments. And I was like, hmm, okay, I guess I could try that out. I happened to pick the first slot of the first day of school. So the class was completely packed and I got in and I looked around and I was so, so scared <laughs> because somehow I, I did public speaking still, even though I had done floor meetings for my residents and had create, been planning events for them and things, I, I did not, I still did not public speaking. I would get nervous because you could hear it in my voice. I would get so nervous. I look around, my friends are there, there to support me. I remember getting them into child's pose, first posture of class. One of these girls who was also an older student in the yoga club, she has her head down, but she gives me two thumbs up because everyone's head's down at this point. So they can't see me. (laughs) And she doesn't even look at me. She just gives me two thumbs up. And I was, I can do this. I can do this. Then speaking and people doing what I'm saying was really that empowering moment. You mentioned earlier the power of community, a bunch of like-minded people getting together Mm -hmm. and doing the same thing. There's such power in that. Fast forward to the present day, the last year during COVID, one of the things like all the jujitsu schools were closed, the yoga studios were closed. One of the things I know my wife and I did is we got mats in the basement. We bought mats and we started doing on-demand yoga. And that's one of the places where I saw you, or we actually took your classes over COVID, we found you online and uh, it was awesome, but it's not the same as seeing live Kushboo and being with 20 people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, the energy is not there. The f- just, there's something intangible that you can't grab and put in a box. It's, it's just not the same without 20 other people, maybe two or three you're friends with, five or six you never saw before, and you all start flowing and you kind of all push each other. Even though it's not a competition, you kind of yeah. all, well, he's holding that pose. I want to hold that pose as long as he is, or look how, you know, look how flexible that person is. It, you all push each other in a positive peer pressure, in a, in a positive direction. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I can attest to that throughout the pandemic. It's almost another community could have been built because these teachers who might have lived in a different state might have lived in a different country whose classes you wanted to take prior to the pandemic, you would have to physically go to those locations to be able to take class with them. So it has been a a super incredible luxury because now I'm able to take classes with my friends who might live in California, who I wouldn't have normally been able to take classes with. So there's definitely an upside and some yoga is better than no yoga. I do believe in that. But 
even this like past weekend, I had a class of 42 people. It was incredible to see everyone moving together. It almost felt old times again, pre-pandemic, where we'd have a completely full room. And everybody is, of course, empowered to do whatever works for them. There's absolutely no pressure to do a certain pose, to, to, to do anything even. You can lay there the whole time. But something about being in a space of that many people, the energy is electric. It really is. And if you haven't experienced, you think we're crazy what we're talking about, but when you do it, it's real. The energy's real. And you come out, whatever problem walking in where I, you know, everyone has things bouncing around in their head. Everyone's got their own good things and bad things that they're working through. And I leave there. I never left a class. I never left a jujitsu class or a yoga class. I never left not super pumped that I went and yeah. every problem that I had, they weren't as overwhelming. Yeah, and I can do that. Or at least, and, and I find that I've never done this yet because it'd be really weird, but I find my best ideas pop out in that time when my head's clear midway mm-hmm. through class, I'll have an idea. And then I can't forget that. I wish I could write that <laughs> down on the wall or something. That's a great idea because it's just, you're yeah. so clear your mind. Yeah. So many ideas pop in my head in the middle of yoga class, which is, it's just phenomenal. Absolutely. And I would say for me, teaching versus taking are two totally different experiences that even during the pandemic, I was taking a lot of classes or I wouldn't, we're still in a pandemic, but during the heat of the pandemic where everything was closed, I was taking a lot of class. I wasn't teaching because I personally didn't the online platform, but something I I value a lot right now is creating the full experience for students of I get to control the lights, I get to control the blinds, I get to control volume of music and and teaching online just didn't really support that. So I took a lot of class. And for me, I was oh, well, I'm still taking class, even though I'm not teaching. So I didn't teach class for three and a half months. And that's the longest stretch I haven't taught yoga in, in the past 10 years. I remember thinking I'm still getting the same thing out of it. I'm still yoga is still here. And then I went back to teaching my first class after everything reopened. And I remember getting a lot of clarity and presence because something that you have to think about when you're teaching is if you're not present, you could put your students in something that's unsafe. You could do something that might lead to somebody being injured and really just disrupting their flow, right? Of I had a moment over the weekend where in the middle of class, I was, oh, I'm a little hungry because my stomach started to grumble. And I lost track of where we were because I took a moment to think about something else. But it does give you that chance of how can I really cultivate this incredible experience for other people? And I know that students love that of how can the thoughts I think that would always run through my head or how can I make this better for them? And those are the ideas. (laughs) When you make it about others, it it, it just works. And when you make it about yourself, that's when you get in trouble, (laughs) especially when you're leading, when you're leading because leadership's about serving others. What Mm -hmm. other leadership things have you learned like in your yoga path? I, I think my biggest thing, and this is truly because I've shuffled around and moved around and managed a few different studio locations is the importance of community and trust. That is first and foremost, my top priority. So even in every single studio location I've managed, I I would love to think that I've offered my skills, but I think the biggest thing I've been able to offer is my support and my trust of being able to gain trust and be a part of the community and integrate myself to say, hey, I'm doing this alongside you. For example, if there's something I'm asking of my teachers, I'm also doing it. For example, we clean the studio rooms post-class just because of the nature of the world we live in right now to make sure everyone's safe. I'm doing it too. After I teach, I'm doing it too. And if I'm there at the studio while they're teaching, I'll do it for them after their class to be like, hey, there's no difference between you and me. I am here as a support system to do this with you. 
One thing I think you do really well that I've seen firsthand a few years back was at front desk with just a ton of positive energy, welcoming everyone by name when they walk into the studio. Yeah. Like you'd have 30 people walk into your class, everyone's name you knew. And you went, even if you're on the, you were talking to someone else, you stopped and said hello. You made people feel you're glad that you're here. They're excited I'm here. They're more excited. Yeah. Than I'm here. Like, <laughs> you're like, it was hard getting here, but they're happy I'm here. Okay. Wow. Like they <laughs> noticed I'm here. You made people feel noticed. Even if you're yeah. the worst yoga person in the room and you're the 15th person to walk in, the energy was contagious, which is, I think that's what a leader does. A leader establishes the tone. First serves others, which we spoke about a few moments ago, but establishes the culture and that's the energy. That's really cool. Now that's great job there. Yeah, absolutely. And I would attribute some of that to, I went to school briefly for holistic counseling. So my graduate work was in that I never actually finished my degree, but after college, I decided to pursue holistic counseling, which marries together yoga and the counseling world. So the two worlds that I was a part of psychology and yoga and thought that would be the path for me to take to really share yoga with the world. I finished about half of the program and I realized it wasn't for me, but a lot of the skills I learned in those classes are really, really helpful in what shapes my interaction with people. So one of the things we had talked about was the importance of making sure people feel seen, felt, and heard. We live in a world where we're not everyone feels that way. And I've, of course, had my own experiences of maybe feeling that way, maybe not feeling that way based on where I am. But that was really something that was and is still really important to me, that it doesn't, skill doesn't matter. How can you make sure every single person feels valued when they come in? Even if you go to a physician, if you went to a uh, knee surgeon, and they're all board certified orthopedics and their knee specialists, you're going to roughly get the same medical result. But if you have one has a horrendous bedside manner, but one's friendly, how are you? Empathetic, listens to your story, even if it's a little too long and like empathizes, oh, that's horrible. Let's see what we can do. That physician, he or she is going to have a patient base tenfold of that person. It might even be a little bit better of a surgeon, but just miserable or doesn't say hello or just in their head too much. That energy that you transfer to other people, make people be seen, felt, and heard. That's powerful. That's really powerful yeah. stuff. Good mm-hmm. stuff. Just wanted to shift gears a little bit here. Want to mm-hmm. uh, get to a part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets. So yeah. our guests can uh, get to know you uh, a little bit more. How about looking back? What's the biggest challenge you ever faced? There's a few big ones, but I would say the biggest one for me has always been the self-doubt if I'm where I'm meant to be. So for example, growing up, there's, we laugh about it. I laugh about it with my cousins of in the Indian culture, you can be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Those are your three options. And growing up, my mom actually had my birth chart read when I was younger and it said I was going to be a doctor. So my whole life, my mom's been, she's totally going to be a doctor. And I've always been, no, I won't be because I didn't want to go down that path. And so constantly though, feeling I didn't fulfill what would the path that was paved for me by my family, for example, the expectations that I don't meet their expectations. And a lot of that comes from that wanting to maintain the peace, wanting to wanting to be there for other people and and make them happy. So one of my biggest doubts that I've had my whole life, and I still do, but it's got it's getting better as I delve more into the yoga world is am I disappointing my family by the path that I picked? And, and inherently, am I disappointing myself with the path that I pick since it's just such an unconventional trajectory for somebody who's Indian, um, at least with 
with people who are my age that my family knows as well, that typically you still have folks that are going into engineering. My brother's an engineer and you have people, you have my cousin's an accountant. And so, so just feeling that level of, am I, am I following? I know it's the right path for me, but just still feeling that sense of when I'm at home and, or meeting somebody else in the extended family and telling them about my life. Sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I manage, manage two yoga studios. I teach yoga and they're kind of like, okay. And, and sometimes that does throw me off because I feel people think that I'm living below my potential, but they don't realize how much effort and work actually goes into what I do because it's so different from what they're used to. The expectations of your parents, if you ask them now what they thought of where you are now in your career, what do you think they would say? I think their answer would just be they're happy if I'm happy. I've been super fortunate that I have didn't have parents growing up that were, it's either this way or no way. There wasn't that rigidity there. My mom growing up did a really great job of telling us, empowering us to make decisions that made us feel good. And even if she wasn't fully on board in the beginning, she caught on. She eventually caught on. I would say when I first delved into this leadership yoga world, my mom was, are you sure that's what you want to do? And there was that moment of doubt, of course, but now as she sees the amount of joy it's bringing me and I got to show her my on-demand videos, I was sitting at home and I'm like, mom, come look at this. And she's like, what? So things that make her proud of, wow, I can see her on screen. When I tell them what's happening in my world, they don't really understand because they don't have any type of comparison. Mm -hmm. So, so it's always interesting because they don't fully think they see the level of success because for them, it's just, oh, she manages yoga studios and teaches. Those online sessions that you have, (laughs) they are excellent. They are a level. They are as good (laughs) as anything I've seen with yoga. Good stuff. How many examples do you have of someone who is a doctor, an accountant, some high paying job that are so miserable? If you read any of Brene Brown books, she mentions you could be a candle maker and be happy. You don't have to be a uh, tax accountant or you don't have to be a, an attorney because she deals with them at 40 years old when they're making 700 grand a year and, and they're on their third marriage and, they're, and their kids don't talk to them anymore just because they did something yeah. they hated because they felt that they had to do a certain career path and not do, yeah. not do what they love. Does that make sense? Absolutely does. And, and that was really what inspired me to, to say yes to this world is that I didn't want to be that person because so I feel I got insights as to seeing how other people live their life. And I, I didn't want to be unhappy as I got older. I wanted my work to feel it was my passion and I want my work to feel, I still think that my work feels a lifestyle that I'm living this yoga lifestyle and can really align with when I'm speaking to students, when I'm teaching class, it still brings me a lot of joy to teach classes. Even this past Saturday, I've taught so many classes. I've I've taught over a thousand classes in the past few years even. And so even though that's the case, I was still excited when I taught on Saturday. When I taught class, I was still excited to teach. And and I run into the people who are, how are you so happy? I probably work more than the average person does, but I really do enjoy what I do. Do you have a favorite failure? Is there a failure of yours that set you up most for future success? For me, one of my bigger failures that that I can see as a blessing is leaving grad school. When I left grad school, I was the type of person who always followed through with what I said I was going to do. And so for me, getting accepted into graduate school and moving to attend was I won't come back until it's done, even if it didn't bring me joy even if I didn't see the value of it at the, at the time for myself, at least, I had a really hard time making that decision. And it got to a point where I had to make a list for myself of 
am I doing this because I want to, or am I just doing this because I don't want other people to think I can't do the things I say I'm going to do. Eventually came down to, I was making that, I was making the choice to stay because I didn't want it to look bad. That's when I realized that, you know what, because I had all the credentials to do yoga full time. I could still do what I really wanted to do. The intention was to use the counseling degree as a back safety net in case yoga full-time didn't work out. And it just came to the realization where, why am I wasting all these years when I could do what I originally wanted to do even without this degree and and I could expedite that process? How about when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, (laughs) what do you do? There's quite a few different things that I do, but I'm not going to say yoga because I feel that's an obvious one. Um, but my favorite thing is anything that gets you into your body. So whether that's a walk, whether that is going on a drive with the windows down, that's been something I've been loving recently because we've had a few nice days here with a lot of sunshine, really anything that gets you out of that mental cycle of anxiety of overwhelm, basically, of course, I love yoga, but anything really that will, um, get me out of my head, sometimes journaling. So really depending on the time of day, right? If it's nighttime, maybe it'll be a journal session. And I've been enjoying that actually for the past few years, journaling, just simple thoughts and getting things out of my head and into paper or even onto my phone or my computer really helps break the cycle of continuing to think about things over and over again. There's such a power in journaling. I think if you talked to me 10 years ago and do you have a journal, I would think yeah. journal is diary, a teenage girl. There's no chance I would ever do that in my life. And then now yeah. I think I have 25 journals filled. It's just <laughs> random thoughts, craziness. Yeah. You read it, you'd probably, this guy's crazy, but just things <laughs> on top of your head. And it's amazing what, how that calms the mind down and mm-hmm. clarifies your thoughts and it just really centers your thinking thought process and your, does that make sense? Totally. And even if you talked to me 10 years ago, I would have said the same thing. I don't want to journal. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't even know how I feel. And I actually got into journaling because it was a part of my teacher training for yoga, even though I, I did it purely because it was an assignment, because it was part of the curriculum, not because I wanted to do it, but I was, I'm not going to get my certification unless I do it. And then towards the end, I really started to enjoy it. And even now I've actually have journals right here next to me and it's anything just writing down anything at all. And it doesn't, there's no structure. There's no form. It's just, sometimes I'll do bullet points. Sometimes I'll just write words and it really helps. Absolutely. How about speaking of books, what book influenced your life or changed your mind? What's your favorite book? My favorite book is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And I won't give too much of it away because I think it's such an incredible book. And I've listen to it. I've read it. I have audiobooks that sometimes I'll listen to if I just want some inspiration. But there's a book that has changed my life. It is truly that book. And it's essentially about a kid who goes in search of treasure and comes upon all of these discoveries. It's just that reminder that when you set your heart to something, when there's something that you were meant to have, or you want to create for yourself, everything around you tries to help you when everything is in alignment, when you are very clear and concrete on what you want, everything around you starts to shift to make sure you get it. So whether that's a job, whether that's finding a passion, anything at all, I really do believe in that alignment. And that book just really, really reminds me, especially if I'm having a hard time seeing the big picture of my life or just of this particular situation. It's that reminder of everything's going to be okay because it's all meant to work out. There's a, a quote saying, act the world's conspiring in your favor. And it will. That's yeah. nice. That's great. 
How about most high achievers have a routine, either in the morning or at night? What does, say, the first 60 minutes of the beginning or the or the end of your day look like? Do you have a routine? I I would love to say I do right now, but honestly, it just depends on the day. There was a time when I was very, very consistent about a routine. And I think that was when I felt I had a little more structure in my life. And so in the past, my routine was to wake up, to journal, to meditate, even before I touched my phone. And of course, those could be varying times. It didn't have to be for a set period of time, but it could just be as long as there's distance between me and me picking up my technology to create some space. Because the moment I wake up, if and I think a lot of us might feel this way, is you start to see the urgency of like text coming through, of things you missed, of of feeling you're just catching up versus giving yourself some time really gives you the ability to, to integrate into your day. I would say for now, my routine at night that I actually have started to enjoy, it's super, super simple, but I actually have an alarm on my phone. At, at, it's arbitrary, but it's 11 p.m. for me. That's a vibrate alarm. That's, hey, it's time to get ready for bed. Because sometimes you get so caught up in watching TV, you get so caught up doing whatever it is that you forget what time it is. And next thing you know, you're oh, it's way past where I intended to go to sleep. And so that's actually been one of my favorite things to have just a gentle alarm reminder of, hey, it's time, time for bed. And that doesn't mean I have to go to bed in that moment and drop everything. But it's, hey, Here's some awareness on this hour is here and you can start getting ready for bed. Sometimes that may mean like reading a chapter in a book. Sometimes that might mean listening to some music before I go to sleep. So really anything that helps me distance myself from technology, but also provides me with a little bit of structure and consistency. That's almost like guardrails. It's just a guardrail. You bounce yeah. up against it. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. So you don't watch like yeah. three more episodes of the Netflix show. Maybe it's time to go to bed now. And that makes the next day so much more, I want to say productive, but at least you're in charge of your time. Time's not in charge of you at that moment. It's Yeah, exactly. How about we mentioned COVID a couple of times during this episode, all the yeah. different impacts it has. From mm-hmm. your perspective, what's the biggest lesson you took from the shutdown COVID the last two years? Yeah. Professionally, you just start to realize how fragile the wellness fitness world can be. And seeing that, of course, there's been so many blessings of so many people taking their business online and and creating their own businesses separate from, from maybe companies they worked for. But I would say for me, beyond that, from a personal standpoint, I realized that I, I needed to create boundaries. Pre-pandemic, I was always attached to my phone, always responding to everything. Everything was a fire that needed to be put out right away. And I was living by myself. I didn't have anything else to do. So it did. I was fine with it back then. But the slowdown of the pandemic really made me realize that this isn't a sustainable use for my energy. So now coming out on the other side, I've started to create a little more, you mentioned guardrails, bumpers of, okay, is this something that needs to be addressed right now? Or can it wait? And so that's made all the difference for me. I'm still able to respond to, to people who need me, but just not at that sense of urgent response of you texted me 30 seconds ago, and you need to hear from me right now. And I think that's what creates that boundary for and expectations for other people in my life of you're not going to get a response right away. And that's okay. Because we live in a world where we're so attached to technology that it almost feels weird when somebody doesn't respond to you right away. So true. No, thanks for sharing that. As you look out into 2022, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? Oh, the most exciting project I'm working on right now is I really want to evolve my teaching. I feel I've gotten to a point where I feel very comfortable 
whether that's through workshops, whether that's through me just sitting down and crafting more plans, more concrete plans of my classes, but something that was on the back burner last year, just because of the huge amount of administrative things we had to do with reopening businesses and reopening studios, teaching really sits sat on the back burner for me. So I really want to bring that back to the forefront of my life because it is something I really enjoy. Wrapping up here, what yeah. advice would you have for that student or potential student? They've been thinking about trying yoga out, never really jumped into it. What advice would you have or either for someone who just started or someone who's thinking about doing it? I would say that it's beyond the physical, that I know that a lot of people come in thinking that they'll land a pose, they'll get more flexible, which those are really great benefits. But just to to notice what it does to your mind, how it really helps you stay present, that's the driving factor of what brings you. I feel like I get asked this question all the time of, I've never done yoga and don't want to go into a studio because I don't want to feel the odd one out because I don't know what's happening. My biggest recommendation is there is so much amazing, amazing video content on YouTube for yoga. There's so many quick little lessons that you could do. So that way you feel you're coming into your first in-person class with some prior knowledge. And that's something I've recommended to folks all the time. If they reach out to me and say, Hey, I want to come to your class, but I really don't think I'm ready for that yet. So here's some videos, watch some of them, even if you don't actually follow them along or do them, but really to get a sense of what to expect. And I, I find that sometimes when you know what to expect, you feel a little more comfortable rejoin or not even rejoining, but just simply coming to try a class out. Here's a question that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. If you could spend a day with any historical figure, alive or dead, who would it be? So this is, I don't even know if this would be possible. (laughs) So yoga is the kind of text that supports yoga is called the Yoga Sutras. And they're attributed to an author called Patanjali. It's very unclear because the text is so old that if it was written by one person, if it was written by multiple people. So as you read the text itself, it's something we study when we learn how to teach yoga and just the philosophy of yoga is they're just quick one, one sentence aphorisms. And they're very, very dense. They're like, people have written massive books on this one line and the interpretation of what it means. And somebody's ripped off of that. And then there's so many, so many texts, but the actual book can be printed on one page because it's so small, but it's telling you what the intention of yoga is and how you can live a yogic lifestyle. Back in the time when it was written, people weren't necessarily attributing themselves as the author. So they might've devoted it to a teacher. They might've devoted it to a spiritual head or anyone. So very unclear of whether Patanjali, who the text is attributed to was a teacher or just somebody that the book was devoted to, or if it was a group of people who came together to write it. So I'd want to meet whoever the creator of the yoga sutras were. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. We started speaking about you, your family in Alabama and Arkansas around 12 years old. If you could go back and talk to all the people sitting around that dinner table in Arkansas at 12 years old, what would you want to tell them? I want to say, watch me as I thrive. Because I feel back then, or even growing up, I didn't see the potential in myself. And throughout the years in leadership, throughout the years in yoga, it's really given me the confidence to know that I have 
the opportunity, I have the possibility to do great things. And that's not something I believed back then. Here, watch me as I thrive. That's great. Last question. <laughs> and sometimes this question works and sometimes it doesn't. Krishbu, <laughs> uh, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? So I have two, and it's actually one of them is the quote that you said, when you want something, the entire universe conspires to make sure you get it or to achieve it. It's from the alchemist. So you've probably seen it somewhere, but I feel that quote is really long to get tattooed somewhere. <laughs> it's a bad <laughs> tattoo. That's on the back. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What does that say? And so for that, I just think, I think that my interpretation of that quote is really to follow your heart. And I have an iteration of that tattooed on me. It's the word Meiraki. It's on my arm. And it, I believe it's Greek. I, I got it a while ago. But the translation of the word is do all things with love. That just is, it's on my arm. So whenever I look down, I re, I'm reminded. It's intentionally there to remind me of, to make sure that love is at the forefront of everything that I'm doing. Love and compassion. Even in those moments where sometimes I don't necessarily have that alignment with what I'm doing. Hey, how can you lovingly do this? It might be a conversation that I'm not excited to have. It might be a task I'm not excited to do, but it's how can you embody or how can you infuse love into this so that it matters? Wow, that is great. Follow your heart and do all things with love. And you may be the first guest of the 40 to actually have the motto already tattooed on your body. (laughs) That is is fantastic. Well, Kushbu Modi, I thank you for joining us. Thank you for all your help a few years back when our paths crossed briefly uh, to get me into yoga. My first class, I went in and I left. I wasn't enthused. I got, I'm probably not going to join. Then I came back and my second class was yours and I left and I signed up and I'm done. This is where I want to be. So I, I appreciate you. Oh, so, so honored that I could be a small part of your journey. Awesome. If people are looking for you uh, or trying to find you online, uh, where can they find you? Yeah. So I am on social media well, on Instagram. I'm Killakush, K-I-L-L-A-K-H-U-S-H. And I haven't been super active on there recently, but I do plan to be because I feel I'm finally getting to a point in my life where I have stuff I want to share. That's awesome. So Killakush <laughs> on Instagram. Killa- Chris Booth, yep. thank you so much. It's awesome to catch up. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much, Joe. Have the best day.